Welcome to the Going Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Jake Mulder. He's a director of strategic initiatives at Fuller Youth Institute and the co-author of the book, Growing Young. Jake works with Fuller to bring about new research and resources for intergenerational ministry. So in our last conversation, we talked uh, about the, I don't know, the the, the situation of the church as it is yep. seen across denominations, across the world, and the picture isn't too pretty. Um, and, I, you know, I, I want to speak to the church that's out there that's kind of looking inwardly and it's like, oh, shoot, like that's us. Because yep. I know that for a lot of churches that are, are part of this process, that's exactly the conclusion that they're coming to. Certainly. Um, what, 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 would, what advice would you give to a church that's out there just kind of feeling the hurt of what we shared in our last episode? Yeah, I I think that the tendency whenever we're feeling that sort of pain, um, there's something inherent within us that's, that seems designed within us that whether we're feeling individual pain or we're feeling uh, communal pain is to step away, to move away, to not <laughs> to not dwell in that pain. And I think what's counterintuitive about this is. It, that's actually the place that we need to walk into. That's the place that we need to journey. Now, I will go back to, um, now let's go to the Bible for a second. That feels like a good place to go. I think there's a reason that in the Old Testament, we have all the major and minor prophets. I think that's why we even have this idea of prophetic ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, because often we need people who are telling us things that we might not want to hear that feel painful because those are the very things that help us journey back to or return to God. Um, Jesus is a source of hope. Yes, I entirely believe that. If you look at many of Jesus's words in scripture, there there was truth telling and there was pain that Jesus was inviting people into of saying, hey, things are not as good as we might think. We need to take a bit of a step back and evaluate this. So. I would say the same thing, that we're following uh, the biblical witness, we're following what God often calls us into when we see this pain, and that we don't just want to run away from the pain, we don't want to ignore it. I think in some cases that's what's perpetuated the challenge of young people who are leaving. Um, I think it requires a sense of resilience, it requires a sense of focus, and honestly confidence Mm. that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us through this, that Jesus is our rock that we can stand on, that we can lean into. Um, And then we truly do need to come to an understanding of our current reality. Mm -hmm. And the moment that we've come to an understanding, we need to begin to ask the question about why. Mm. Why is our current reality the way that it is? What factors have led to or contributed to this? Okay, so beyond just the simple anecdotal, like, recognition that oh yeah our church doesn't our church doesn't have that many young people and like maybe right. maybe this is an aha moment for the listener maybe this is something like yes i've been saying this for years or whatever the case is um, right. asking the why questions like how did we get here and so yes. i know that there are certain areas in a church life that you tend to kind of at least sh- shine a light on what are some areas that we can start looking at to help us round out this idea of like well maybe there are a couple things that lead to the to the result of young people not wanting to engage in this church yep. What what are some things that we could look at? So I'll say, first of all, I don't want to move too quickly past the like, oh, maybe we don't have young people around here because here's what the typical church does that we've experienced. Okay. Uh, And this is why I think the problem gets perpetuated. 
is many of our churches that are aging or shrinking, we've got people who are like age 40 or 45 years old. Mm -hmm. We may have a handful of young people like age 17 and younger. So they're the children of those who are maybe in their 40s or so. And so visibly what we can see is like, well, I mean, the young people are the teenagers, the kids are here, their parents want them to be here. And we've got some new 40 somethings who come in who bring their younger kids or something like that. So when we look at that picture, it's like, oh, we've got some young people, some churches, totally no young people whatsoever. But many of us can point to we've got some young people, the gap ends up being those like age 17 or so to about 30 is often the biggest gap. And I think the lie or the myth that many of us buy into is, Oh, well, that's just what young people do today between ages 17 and 30. They just they go on some journey. They're not part of church, but they'll come back someday. Hmm. So the big piece I think we need to lean into there in defining reality is um, someday may never come. Someday is coming less and less than it used to. Hmm. The predictor used to be that when younger people would get married and have kids, they would come back and settle in the church. Hmm. Okay. Mm hmm the average age of getting married and having kids used to be age 22 or so. That's now creeping closer and closer to age 30. So if you've got a lot of young people who aren't married having kids until, say, age 30, if at all, those natural predictors of when many came back to church, they're changing. And if you're a young person in a previous generation who spent a couple years away from the church, okay, that's one thing, you're back, it didn't feel all that different. If you're a younger person today and you spent 10 to 13 years outside of a church community, you might decide to come back with your own kids and you're like, oh, yeah, there's some good reason that I left. So I, oh, I don't no. want to. No, right? I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I totally get it. My, my wife and I, we have both just turned 30 and we still do not have our first child. Um, so, you know, if if we ever end up having a family, I mean, we're in our early 30s before we we are uh, bringing that child to church. And right. And, you know, if I had followed the normal route, I mean, I would know more or less half of my life outside of the church. Uh, it, and yep. so what was normal? What was the base that I returned to? It, it's it's not so easy to say that it was my, my church upbringing, my Christian life. And so I can totally understand why, why someone who's like, oh, I haven't been to church in a dozen years, give it a shot. Like they only really need one or two bad experiences before they're like, nah. I think we're okay. Yep. We're, we're good with this. Totally agree. So it's, it's just a whole different ball game. And I think that um, for those listening, if we move, if we move off that point too quickly, um, we can miss something. Now to your other question about what are some of the areas that we should be paying attention to diagnosing. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to continue throughout this to unpack what we call the six core commitments of growing young. And those are the six areas of church culture that we think matter most. Yeah. So certainly, if you've come across Growing Young, have the book. We'll get into some of those at some point. What I really want to start us on in terms of what to be thinking about um, is to actually step away from the trends, the concepts, the what we're hearing in the media. We've seen that there's a lot of myths of reasons we think young people are leaving. Uh, Often those become things like, oh, well, our church likes more traditional music or we like a little quieter and oh, young people today, they just listen to, and you can fill in the blank, whatever is your thing that you think all young people listen to. So there's this belief that unless we adopt that worship style, Hmm. young people won't come back. Hmm. Um, Often we hear the trends of like all young people want is cool, hip young pastor. So, all right, I guess we need to look for 
a, a leather jacket wearing whatever is your picture of like cool hip young pastor from Los Angeles or New York City or pick whatever and your stereotype is like well you know if we're in a rural location and that's not us I guess we're just never going to have young people mm. and when what I want to push us towards is actually talking to and listening to young people and not just putting young people in this category this stereotype this Part of the reason for that is um, as society has continued to fragment and become different, young people's perspectives, reasons for leaving or staying have become very different. And I like to compare this to like um, regular TV versus Netflix. When I was a kid, we didn't have cable. Mm -hmm. So there were like four TV channels you could choose between, right? And those were your options. So if you had shared experience with a lot of people because everybody had, they could only watch one of those four channels. Mm -hmm. Today, when you think about Netflix, I mean, how many options do you have to choose between what you want to watch? And that's just on Netflix. Netflix is one of all of these different providers. We're in an era where we can pick and choose our perspective and what we see and shape us in different ways. We're seeing the same thing for young people with faith and with church. Um, it's hard to paint with a broad brush and say, oh, all young people leave because of. So what becomes very necessary then is to actually get to know your young people. Now, if that's young people in your church currently, like you've got teenagers, it's actually like, I, I, I actually mean having a conversation with them, not just dropping in saying, hey, what do you not like about, but like getting to know them, hmm. developing relationship with them, with their family. Um, if you don't have any young people, right? Like they're no one under age 25 in the church. This is perhaps going to some who are 25 years old or older who used to be part of the church until five years ago or eight years ago, again, out of a sense of empathy and care, stepping in and saying, hey, can you, can you help us understand? Can, but that really begins with a posture of wanting to know what's happening, of wanting to know why. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I imagine that that would be a, a difficult thing to do for, for, for many people, especially if you're talking to the post-25, why did you leave, you know, those types of questions, um, especially if you, are, if you are blessed to have young people that will be honest. Yeah. Because uh, I'm guessing that they're going to cite things that, that might hurt your heart just a little bit. Yeah, they might. And I, this is where I like to turn to um, medicine and health because I think it's a helpful analogy. There's a book out there called Change or Die. Okay, Change oh, or Die. Shit. Very dramatic. Yeah. And um, the reason it's called that, and I'll, I'll cite, I will paraphrase this in my own words. It'll be close. But if you want to look at the book Change or Die, it's worthwhile. They look at a major study of people who were basically told by their doctor, um, these are your health issues. If you don't make significant changes in your health, you are going to die. Mm. And what they found from that study is even people who had every reason to change, right? Like my life depends on it. A very small portion of those people actually made the changes that they needed to change in their health oh, wow. to sustain their life. So part of the question and challenge here is... <laughs> If when faced literally with life and death, many of us struggle to make the changes that are necessary, mm -hmm. how much more so in our churches where, I mean, yes, it's a matter of life and death, but it's not often in our face that much. Right. So I, this is where the concept of diagnosis becomes so important. So let's say you have a headache, right? And you, you've had headaches for a few weeks. That's not normal. 
you should go to the doctor if you're having those headaches. But if you go to the doctor, the doctor is going to diagnose you. That's what the doctor has been trained to do. Mm-hmm. If the doctor diagnoses you by saying, oh, uh, you, you know, you've got um, whatever it is, something simple, the best thing for you is to actually take some Advil, Tylenol, or whatever medicine you need. That's very different than the doctor saying, hey, there's something that doesn't seem quite right here. We're going to take you in for a CAT scan because I've got you know, concern that there's something more serious going on. That diagnosis is absolutely critical to understand what the real problem is. Right. And I, I think many of us, just like from the doctor, no one wants to hear that we've got cancer. No one wants to hear that there's something, some serious medical problem, which leads many of us to actually avoid getting that information or pursuing the, the means to get the information of what would keep us healthy. Right. I think it takes real courage in our churches to do this work of listening and diagnosis because we might hear something that we don't want to hear. And so again, if our tendency is the moment we get close to something painful, we just take a step back. I, I don't think that's what God invites us into. I don't think that's what the church is designed to be. Yeah, that's really good. I, I know that in future episodes, we're going to be talking about exactly what do these listening uh experiences look like and how can we walk through that as a church and what even are the questions that we could be asking and so I want to kind of put a put a pause on that just just briefly but if we're looking at diagnosing the current state of our church other than having these conversations or in addition to having these conversations what are some other kind of telltale giveaways like oh yeah if we don't have a then we're probably here Certainly. Yeah, certainly. We can uh, go into a few of those. So we talked about listening, the need for listening. We talked about just from the very beginning of this, I mean, what percentage of your church is made up of young people, right? So how many kids, how many teenagers, how many young adults? Do we actually have some critical mass? That's a telltale sign. Is there like a a healthy versus moderate to poor kind of... You know, we always... Percentages like that used to be given out a, a couple decades ago. I always hesitate because I just think it's so contextual. Um, I, yeah, so I, I won't give specific percentages. Um, I think asking the question, uh, here's one helpful guideline I guess I would give. Because we often hear this. We've heard people tell us, well, there's no, there are no young people in our community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we're going to have young people in our church because our city I was at a community, I was working with a church in Texas mm-hmm. and was talking with their elder board. And one of the elders uh, was talking about how they don't have many 20-somethings in their church or college students, and that's a big problem. Another elder weighed in and said, well, there's there's hardly any of them in our entire community. We're not going to have many in our church. Another elder said, I'm not so sure about that. So what I did while they were talking, I pulled up the U.S. Census Bureau information for their community And um, what the research reveals is there are four major universities in this town. It's a college town. Mm. Um, The highest percentage of any age group in their community is those in their 20s and 30s, right? (laughs) Highest percentage of any age group. So we looked at that data and everyone was like, oh, wow. Okay, that's surprising. So often, like, common wisdom is not always so common or wise. So the point being... I would look at how well does your church reflect its community. So if if you're in a church where 20% of the population is 20-somethings, it might be worthwhile to think, can we reflect our community? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I would think that that would also reflect not just age, but even maybe culture. 
Um, oh yeah, race, ethnic, ethnic, yeah, absolutely. Race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, absolutely. Yeah, awesome, cool. Any anywhere else that we could be looking yep. at? How about, uh, yeah. for example, leadership? I know that that's something yeah. that we talk a lot about. Yep, that's where I was going to go next. Um, starting to ask when it comes to positions of leadership. I mean, are young people just bystanders? Are they just kind of on the sidelines, or do they get to have an active voice? So when you look at for your worship, who's up front or who's on the platform when it comes to decision making, that would be another area. Um, something else we like to think about is intergenerational connections. So again, what data reveals is that one of the best ways to pass on faith is when young and old are interacting. Often older folks will can pass on the faith they have simply by having experiences and getting to know young people. So how and where do those connections happen? Um, for a lot of young people who really care about social justice and making a difference in the community, trying to look at how and where are we engaged in our wider community? Are we involved in justice efforts? Are we involved in service efforts, whether that's in our local neighborhood or globally? Those are things um, that many young people care about. Uh, there's simple pieces that can point to how well young people are prioritized in our church, like what portion of the budget is dedicated to anything happening with young people. When we have conversations with our church board or leadership groups, how often are young people mentioned there? So yeah, there's a whole set of metrics that we can uh, that we can pull up and that we in fact have an assessment tool that goes with all of this work to help us try and get kind of a baseline understanding. Yeah, I remember sitting in a, a church when I was, I think I was probably like 18 or 19 years old. And we were doing a study through the Old Testament and someone had pulled up the, the fact that Levites, leaders in the church back in the Old Testament, weren't allowed to like officially be Levites until they were the age of 30. And they were like, oh, Jesus started their ministry when he was 30. And like, they're making all these right. connections. And it felt like the implied point was you're not supposed to be up front or leading or be in leadership in any way until you're of a certain age and quality. Right. There's a standard that God has. What would you say to this this culture that says, wait, why would we want children up front leading the church when really they should be being discipled and and they should be sitting and learning? Um, and, yeah. and they're having trouble with this idea of a, of a future where young people are so ever present in, in every stage of the process. Yeah. Um, assuming this is someone who takes scripture seriously. Um, it is very easy to proof text. It is very easy to find any isolated example of one thing that we're gonna build our entire practice on. So I would encourage um, a, a comprehensive and holistic reading of scripture because the moment that we read scripture in a thorough manner, um, we actually see that God cares about and is on the side of young people. Now, God is on the side of everyone, I believe. But, you know, I could pull up King Josiah and look at, like, this very young person. <laughs> I could look up, like, David and Goliath. And then, da like, like, I can pull any of those. Um, a thorough reading of the New Testament, I think, is going to reveal uh, how God uses and works through young people, often before they're ready. Mm. Uh, if you want to look at who Jesus chose, choose to use. Wow, I sound really intelligent. <laughs> You're Jesus, making your case very well right now. <laughs> I so am. Um, did I mention I almost have a PhD? There yeah. you go. Uh, if you look at who Jesus chose to use, 
it was not the most qualified. It was not the most mature. I mean, those who are of a certain age and who are ready, those were the Pharisees. Those were the teachers of the law. Those were, right? When you look at who Jesus chose to use, so if, and I'm not even going to go into Adventist history. I mean, if you want to look at who have been some of the leaders of Adventism, you can do your own history lesson there. Uh, the piece I would end with, if you need a model for what this looks like, I really think that uh, the Paul-Timothy relationship is a really helpful relationship here uh, because you do see Timothy, a younger person, being mentored by Paul, who's further along in years. So again, first and second Timothy, I just think that presents a blueprint that we can use, uh, that we can build upon. Of Timothy has the respect for Paul. He's learning for Paul, but Paul over and over, and this is like the classic young people's verse, right? Like, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. Uh, it, it's that posture that I think we're after and that we need to be after. And often this perspective of, oh, young people, they're just, they need to wait. I think that's more of a cultural phenomenon than it is necessarily from scripture. Hmm. So I think we do well to go back to what is the example that scripture sets for us. Awesome. Beautiful. Jake, I appreciate so much uh, your careful and thoughtful uh, walking us through these ideas. I know that there's a lot of challenges to, 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 uh, to expect. There's a lot of um, maybe rethinking of how we've done things, but uh, you do so with such grace and tact. And yeah, thanks. So thank you so much for the voice that you bring in this conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks, Justin.